Hey everyone, welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, a podcast that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product designers, and other industry professionals. This podcast is run by Macro Design and Invent and hosted by Philip Belecha. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to putting your product on the shelf. We're taking you step-by-step step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Now onto the show. The Product Startup, Episode 51. Samantha and Elaine of Midas Cup talk about creating an all-natural alternative to coffee. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, where we talk about turning ideas into successful products step-by-step. I'm Philip Belitza, and thanks for listening to me today. In the last episode, we spoke with Tim Christian, and he talked about how he started OORR, a cycling brand that uses recycled materials to create fabric. So make sure to check out episode 50 if you want to hear more about how Tim launched his new brand in a highly competitive space. Today, instead of my usual coffee, I'm drinking a turmeric latte. So turmeric can be pretty strong, and I wasn't sure how much I would like it. I'm also a caffeine junkie, and my wife is about five months pregnant with our second daughter, and she can't have any caffeine. So when the ladies at Midas Cup said that they would send over a sample, I said, sure, I'll just get my wife to try it out. But really, that was just an excuse for me to try something new. I always like testing and trying out new things. I made it with milk, and it tastes so much better than a spiced chai latte that you probably get here in the States. It just has that extra kick, and you can definitely feel that it's healthy for you. It's uh, you know It's got those antioxidants and other things that help reduce joint pain. So for those of us that are getting up in age, uh, I swear the day I turned 30, my knee started hurting like that day. Anyway, I could definitely get used to drinking this, maybe not as a complete substitute for coffee for me because I'm definitely a junkie, but as a way to bring myself down from maybe two cups to one. I definitely need that one cup after lunch more than any other part of the day. Anyway, let's get started with today's show. Hi, Samantha and Elaine. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Hi, how are you? Hi, thanks for having us. Well, I'm really excited to have you on because... We haven't had that many food-based products on the show. Maybe you can talk a little bit about why you got into creating a turmeric-based superfood business. Um, so I guess I studied food technology and nutrition. Um, so I've always been really interested in health and wellness. Um, done, done a lot of yoga, done a lot of um, fitness at the gym and things like that as well. And then earlier last year, Elaine and I were kind of leaving the gym together and we were just talking about the benefits of turmeric and Elaine was currently obsessed with turmeric. Yeah, so... Yes, um, Sam introduced me to a golden latte at um, one of our local cafes and um, I guess knowing how good it was for you and as well as like how delicious it was and how it started to make me feel, like I noticed the differences straight away, I literally became obsessed. So I was like running around town, like chasing the golden latte, if you like, so trying to find, you know, um, a really delicious blend at wherever I was. I worked for myself um, as a stylist, so was visiting lots of different locations. And because it was a fairly new thing, I found it really difficult to find. So Sam was saying, why don't you make your own? So we started, I started, you know, playing at home and she started giving me some recipes too. And we had a bit of a play and it turned out that um, ours was quite delicious and we thought quite better than some of the rest that were out there. So we decided to package it up and share it. Yeah, that's fascinating because looking at it just on the surface, you would think that's something that anybody can just do from home or that it's something that is really tough to market as a product. 
why did you think that there were other people that were would be interested in something like this? That it I would actually it would be more than something than uh, than a blog post online about a recipe, for example. Well, I guess the health space is becoming so huge at the moment, and everyone's so fascinated in different things that can help them for different reasons. Turmeric's been really, um, really powerful for rheumatoid arthritis for years. Um, the elderly have been using it for years and years and years to, to heal themselves with arthritis. And it's slowly becoming more of a prominent thing in younger generations with things like sport recovery, um, headaches, PMS, IBS, um, just, I guess, general um, health and wellness for the younger generation. So kind of packaging in that a really easy-to-use form for people that don't have to think any further than that. They can literally just go to their cupboard, open the pack, and use it in any way they want. It's convenient. It's easy to use. It's um, great when you're time poor. So the benefits there, they're pretty, pretty I guess, um, diverse. I think, um, it like, yeah, definitely the, the benefits of turmeric are really hard to ignore these days. And for me, I know that, um, why I thought it was such a great idea too, um, when Sam sort of presented it, it was because, you know, I was the consumer, like I needed this product. Like I didn't have the time to, to find it if, um, because it wasn't so widespread when we started it. Like I literally, I would have to go without if the cafe didn't supply a golden latte or, and and also to like you know do the mixing myself every morning. It's very time consuming. Everyone's really time poor these days. Everyone wants you know a really quick and easy solution. And we just thought um, we have a delicious one. Yeah, that it would um, be something that other people were interested, particularly because it was something that we were so passionate about and incorporated into our daily life as well. Yeah, that's a good point. So when you realized that you were onto something with this particular recipe, this blend. Did you reach out to anybody else that you knew, maybe friends or family, or how did you target a, a subset of your audience to, to really test this? Or did you not test it and you just went straight to market with it? In Melbourne, where we live, there's quite um, a huge movement towards the golden latte in cafes. So it's becoming quite prominent and quite popular. Um, so just knowing that was enough for us to kind of get in market, essentially. I guess um, in Melbourne, um, we're, we're, we are known for that whole cafe culture as well. So everyone's really quick to, you know, check out trends. And we were quite secretive, to be honest, with um, with our secret blend. But um, we did have a few people that we referred to as foodies or super tasters, if you like. And we, we kind of knew that we were onto if, something. Yeah, if they liked it, that we would be, you know, we were onto something. It was actually quite funny because Sam and I both love things quite spicy. So that was a bit of a challenge to make sure that <laughs> not putting too much ginger in yeah. there, <laughs> not to, to alienate half the world by like putting too much spice in it. But, um, I think we got there in the end, like it is quite, it is a spicy blend, but it's not, you know, so mm. spicy that people that don't like hot things or spice won't enjoy it. Yeah. So talk about that process a little bit more as you started testing the blends, you said you were looking to make it so it's a little bit has a little bit broader appeal. We just wanted it to be different. Like we noticed that a lot of the things that were on the market um, were quite neutral in flavor. Yeah. Yeah, They had, you know, some coconut sugar in there so that it was a little bit more palatable or they had um, lots of cinnamon to kind of make it a little bit sweeter so that it was easier, easier going down. And we just kind of, we weren't really into that. Like we wanted to be drinking something that you went, wow, this is really interesting in taste and it's obviously good for me rounded and earthy and well blended versus like you know having to worry about the sugar content that someone's put into 
you know, their blend mm. or which is something you can add yourself, you know, if, if, the, yeah. if you do need that little bit of extra sweetness, add some honey. We don't need to add it for you because we just think that's too polarizing and we're just ignoring half of the half of the world if we put sugar in everything. And a lot of people that are into this product don't want sugar in their drinks too. So I think that was really important for us to ensure that the product was clean and sugar free. Yeah, that's an interesting point is that the customer can customize the product a little bit. One of the previous guests that we've had on the show, uh, Brad Summy, he created his own line of beef jerky. And here in the States, there's a bit of a following for cured meat products. Mate, and- yeah, I, actually love, I actually love beef jerky. It's a, a, sim- a guilty pleasure. <laughs> yeah, and they carved out a niche in being the some of the most flavorful and not just spicy because they have some insane like ghost pepper blends but they've also have some blends that you wouldn't find anywhere else that were inspired by recipes from around the world but with a ton of flavor and they're basically unapologetically flavorful yeah i think that's sort of what we wanted to go for to be honest like um you know as sam mentioned previously like the ones um out there well actually i was obsessed with one at my local cafe and when they actually changed their blend it actually like ruined um, basically ruined my life. I was, had no idea what to do. I was like, what, they've changed the blend. I don't know what to do. So, um, that's when we start, like, that's when we really started playing, um, with With recipes in the kitchen kitchen and getting something that, you know, was, was well-rounded and and was delicious and and wasn't bland and wasn't too heavy in any one ingredient and wasn't, Mm. we wanted people to be able to cook with it as well, which I think is really important. Um, not just to be able to mix it with milk and make it into a golden latte, which is the trend, but to make something that was really easy to use in the kitchen. So you can literally add it to anything and that's how you can get, you know, a teaspoon of of turmeric a day or a teaspoon of Midas cup a day, which keeps inflammation away. Yeah. <laughs> <A> little rhyme. <laughs> yeah, I think um, everyone's looking for more ways to get turmeric into their life because the health benefits are so hard to ignore these days. So, you know, rather than, you know, just trying to get it in with a golden latte every day, like we do want to encourage people to sprinkle it on top of their porridge or oats or um, yeah. chuck it into a smoothie. Marinate fish and chicken. Dry rubs for um, vegetables. Um, People have made coconut rice and donuts and pancakes. Did someone make a creme brulee with it the other day? That's yeah, that looks really wonderful actually. Like it's just fascinating the different uses that people are finding for the product based on the fact that it is that really balanced measure of spices and hasn't got you know too much cinnamon or sugar in there. Yeah, so you really can go sweet or savory. But yeah, it's it's um, super versatile. And we have lots of, I guess, inspiration on our website too. In a way that sounds great because now the product is so versatile, but it must make marketing a really tough challenge because now you have to kind of pick a position and uh, stick with it or at least pick multiple positions and now you have multiple audiences. How are you able to manage that? Well, I mean, the main audience is the golden latte trend. So it's that kind of I guess, health-focused consumer who is interested in having a golden latte. They can make it at home, but also, I guess, the clincher is that it is multi-purpose. I think that um, the audiences aren't too dissimilar. I think that our core audience is someone that cares about their health, that cares about eating well, that cares about eating clean. Um, Generally, they're probably early adopters to things. They're on the lookout for new things that will make their life better. Yeah. So you can be your better version of yourself. (laughs) Yes. As you went through the development of this product, I imagine that you, you know, after you've 
kind of tested it a little bit and made sure that you had the recipe right, uh, what kind of research that you do to make sure that it was something that you could put out on the market? Like in the U.S., for example, we have the FDA that controls a lot of food products. How is it over in Australia when, with regards to controls of those types of ingredients? So we get everything packaged pharmaceutically, which um, basically means that it goes straight from um, the farmer to the supplier to the um, packaging floor, which is a pharmaceutical facility here in Melbourne. And they package everything, um, ensuring that it doesn't get contaminated with gluten, dairy, soy, nuts, caffeine, sugar, any of those contaminants. They're kind of the end point um, in that ensuring that the product is safe um, for consumption and all. And that, that we've followed all rules and, and regulations. regulations. Um, we have been told that obviously spices are more low risk than other food and yeah, spices are definitely so, a low risk product. So. Yeah, so I guess you know, obviously Sam studied food science nutrition. Yeah, so there was a lot of, I guess, like a little bit of research, um, but beforehand, but also like really looking to like the specialists in or that were at the top of the fields that we were looking at to make sure that we had this premium product that we really believed in. And basically, from there, I just. We take everything ourselves and then we deal with all the distributing, basically. In terms of supplying um, stock to, to consumers, we kind of started with our own network of people and that's how we got involved in some cafes and health food stores and some supermarkets initially. And then from kind of like a natural growth. It's, yeah, uh, uh, I guess our, our flow has been super organic and really just utilising people within our own networks. So because of our jobs, our full-time jobs, um, it has allowed us to hit up some friends for some favours too. <laughs> yeah, so that's interesting. And I want to touch on a couple of things that you said as because we ran through manufacturing a bit quickly, but that seems to be a sticking point for a lot of people. They feel like they don't have the right connections or that they can't negotiate the right type of deal with a manufacturer. In the States, we've got what are called co-packers for food items mm -hmm. where, like you said, they're already approved to be handling this type of product. They have all the certifications they need. So in reality, all you do is you contact them and give them a recipe and yeah. they they do the rest of the work for you. Is that something similar that you yes. have yeah. a the pharmaceutical facility. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we just wanted to make sure, you know, when you're dealing with people's, you know, lives and things that they're ingesting, like you really want to make sure that you're doing everything right. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, they handle everything for us. Yeah. <laughs> we wanted to, like, you know, while we kind of did our research, we were we, we did want to 100% make sure that we, like, crossed our T's and dotted our I's. So, so talk about that a little bit more. You, I imagine you had a list of providers that you could have picked from and I imagine it didn't all just come down to price because sometimes they're all going to be roughly in the same neighborhood. What were some yeah. of the d differentiating factors that led you to pick one versus another? There were supplies. There's supplies everywhere when it comes to spices. You can pretty much get them from anywhere. Um, so it was a bit of a, that balancing act between, I guess, product um, and cost. So we got, we made sure we got samples from everybody sent. Um, we had just asked for 10 gram samples of all the products from pretty much anyone that we were talking to. And then anyone we, that would give us a sample. <laughs> with the samples we got from everyone, we, we made up a weighted sample of our product. And then we just kind of did a bit of a taste test at home. So we kind of had 
because, you know, everything was done in our kitchen essentially for the, while we were going through this whole process, you know, many nights spent laid up with scales and milk frothers and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, we just kind of um, figure out the the perfect blend blend. of too much um, cardamom cake, not enough cardamom cake. So once we had like, I guess the blend that we wanted, we contacted all the suppliers, as I said, and used their product to make up a sample of our blend and, and just decided who made the best blend or who's we liked it the taste of more um and then it was a bit of a balancing act which from there and price essentially and also just to mention i i guess um we were always also looking at like suppliers that had all oh, the right certification um, and, and really having that transparency in, you know, making sure that the product was organic and yeah, we just wanted organic GMO free product. Essentially there was a difference between, um, raw spices as well. So, which is something that we were really passionate about too, because obviously during that cooking process, you do lose a lot of the nutritional values. So we just wanted to make sure everything was raw, organic and GMO free. As people move through that process and they've decided that, okay, we're going to go with this co-packer or this manufacturer to help us put everything together, was there anything during that process that you were surprised about or that didn't quite work out the way that you expected that you thought, man, I wish we would have known this before we gotten into it? There's so many things, to be honest. Like I think as much as you try to plan and schedule and um, you know have everything mapped out. I think that there are so many variables that you don't even think of and that you can't control. So, you know, as much as we did try, um, and did think that these things would not be an issue, like little things pop up, um, that are just completely out of your control. I guess a good example, um, for people listening, we had, um, we had a supplier that was located in Australia and, We'd, we'd ordered off them a few times and so that, you know, they kept sending us the same product as you expect when you order the same product as last time in your email. And one time they didn't send the same product as last time. Um, I guess they just, they just tried to pull the, um, the wool over our eyes and send a low, low grade quality product. And that arrived at the packaging facility. And because they'd been packaging everything that was the same for however many months, it just got packed. And it was only in the process where it went to a cafe that the cafe was like, this is a little bit different to last time. And I kind of had to go down there and had a look and I was like, oh, something weird's going on and contacted the packaging facility. We ran some tests and figured out that the supplier had sent us a dodgy version of one of the spices this time around. So I guess just maintaining that quality control and every at every every, every point in the process, like making sure that no matter what you're doing, who it's coming from, how well you know them or trust them, everything gets tested and checked before you do anything with it. Yeah, as, you te- just don't as wanna... tedious as it is, it's just it, it really did, I guess, bite us in the butts that time because it was our biggest order that we'd, you know, we, we started to become a bit more confident and like started ordering bigger quantities because, you know, we wanted to make sure that we had enough apply for the demand that was out there because and we also were... obviously cost gets less the more you pr- the more you produce so right. once we were feeling right. confident about everything we were like okay we'll do a big order this time because it'll save us this much money we'll be saving this much um cost per packet so we'll make a little bit more it just makes sense you know um and then we kind of got bitten in the butt with that one and, and we lost like that whole order it was about 110 kilos of spices oh no so yeah, that was a really learn a huge learning curve for us, I guess. Like no matter how much you trust someone or how low risk something is, or um, just to get it tested, every just step. to yeah, to, just to be you know, you might feel like you're being a drainer, um, but you you know you really just have to do 
everything by the book, I guess, like or in those processes because there's a reason why you do them. Um, and I guess we did learn that the hard way. Um, and, you know, it was a little bit of a costly exercise, but we know not to do that again, I guess. <laughs> now, as you've gone through this process, you like you said, you've implemented some checks and balances and you've got some people that are helping you with the quality control. Walk us through the process of the, the steps that you took after that to get into the cafes. I know that you mentioned that you've got some friends in high places, so you're able to pull in some favors. Did you start selling to cafes first or were you selling to consumers directly first? Um, the I online think... store started as soon as the brand was launched. The online store was available so the consumers could start buying. Um, we were really lucky early on. We, um, we got I think nominated. it was actually our first night. We picked up our first um, – was yeah, well, we had interest with – one stockist um, on our very first night and it was actually a friend from the industry but she also worked in a health food store so she was a model um, that I'd worked with previously I'm a stylist during the day and you know she set up a meeting for you know two days later and um, you know that was our first stockist so it was really well received from the get-go I guess Um, and then that that initial health food store stockist was a bit of a um, I guess um talking point at cafes because it was really well on a health food store here in Melbourne. So then, you know, we start going to cafes that we didn't already know and just kind of give them samples of the product and explain that we're already stocked in this health food store that everyone knows about. And it's kind of like, oh, really? That's great. And then that's kind of where the, the talking point was established from. And then we've had pretty uh, quite a lot of success building on from that, actually. Yeah, I think um, for us, it's definitely, it's been easier to get it into the health food store doors and grocery yeah and supermarkets than it has been in the cafes I think that with cafes I think it's a little bit more you either do it labor intensive in terms of trying to you know convince the product is it a right fit for the milk that they have you know is it something that they can offer are they into the are they into the turmeric trend yeah. a lot of cafes um, or coffee, coffee. Yeah, coffee um, cafes are like purists in the sense that they only serve coffee. So I think that's been a real challenge for us to try and convince that, you know, they should serve turmeric. Like to be honest with you, like my spiel is, you know, I was um, a coffee drinker and I love coffee. I absolutely love it, but I just can't drink it. It makes me, um, it gives me you know, too much anxiety and um and I, I really, you know, I love the smell, I love the taste, but I just can't drink it. So when I go, you know, to a, a coffee shop that doesn't serve anything else, it really like obviously limits me. Um, and I, I want to drink and I want to spend my money with them, but, you know, I've got nothing for them. So I guess that's a really good argument for a lot of the purists here in Melbourne um, that we face. Is it decaffeinated? Yes, it's decaffeinated. It's purely spices. So it's um, organic turmeric, cinnamon, ginger, nutmeg, cardamom, and black pepper. The black pepper's in there because it basically activates the turmeric. Um, it increases the bioavailability of turmeric by about 2,000%. So without the black pepper, turmeric is pretty much useless. <laughs> um, and that was another thing, actually. I was We were kind of flabbergasted. Like, I'm, I, I didn't study nutrition, um, but even, like, even I noticed a lot of the blends out there didn't have Black, black pepper yeah. in them. And I was like, what are you guys doing? Like, there's actually no point. It's like turmeric 101. You yeah. Need black so pepper. You also need fat, but, you know, everyone's got fat inside them. So generally that's not a huge issue. But that's why it's really great with coconut milk, which is what we recommend drinking it with um, just because it obviously increases the bioavailability. Yeah. Yeah. So you might have another market there for uh, pregnant moms and moms-to-be. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I actually sent it to um, – 
a colleague who I'd worked with at one of the channels here, a reporter here, and you know, she's pre- currently pregnant, and she was just saying how, um, well, yeah, she was just saying how amazing it was, and that she found it before you know the end of her pregnancy, and that it's really helped, and and, and a really great alternative to coffee as well, because you know she was missing her her coffee and and it was a, a really great substitute. Yeah, it sounds like you have a lot of good applications for your product. As you're looking to expand now, what are your plans on 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 getting into more stores or getting into other cafes or are you just looking to increase your e-commerce presence and sell direct? Kind of a bit of both. I guess like the B2C is obviously really important um, and it's a little bit easier to act to um, access the consumers directly. Um, B2B takes a bit more work and a bit more effort. We tend to do a lot more kind of on the ground, talking to other businesses, you know, cold calling essentially other businesses and just kind of really trying to explain the benefits of the product, hoping they know about turmeric already because then that's one thing, we, one less thing we have to explain um, and just trying to, I guess, yeah, push it into as many businesses as possible. Whereas the online is a little bit, it's a little bit easier to access the consumers. We were nominated for this award here in Melbourne with one of the local papers called the Startup Stars in 2016. And we made top eight of 250 businesses. And as soon as that went out in the local paper, we were selling like a unit every half an hour for a few days. Like it was just incredible. The spike was just so noticeable noticeable and it, it was such a great support particularly in the early days I think we'd only launched maybe a month you know, before that oh, I was I was gonna say two weeks even before yeah. um before that happened before that even happened so I think we'd yeah the, the consumers are definitely easier to um to notice the spike in they're easier to, to access I mean it just takes a, an article in the paper or you know a magazine or they see something online and then you've got them buying yeah, and one of the interesting things that I thought of while you were talking was that in the U.S. at anyway, the market for uh, for coffee in re- to restaurants and to businesses is actually pretty big. There's a lot of large companies that are involved in catering, you know, the mm. the mass volume type coffee, and even even the blends that you, we consider more artisan, more crafted, have adopted to selling coffee. I don't want to say wholesale, but in larger bulk orders for some of these other companies. Have you found any success in any of that? We haven't actually found a distributor as yet. So until we get a distributor um, who will kind of micromanage the large scale sales for us, um, then we haven't really expanded um, the product range or the sizes that the product is available in at the moment it's just 110 gram pack but as soon as we do have the distributor on board and we've got more access to a greater number of um cafes and restaurants and things like that that's when we'll look at bigger size packaging so that is you know the wholesale sizes essentially yeah i guess like it has been a real um juggling game for both of us like we both work essentially full-time so i'm a freelancer so I like I you know have months where I'm you know super busy with my normal job and then other months where I'm like super not busy so I have a lot more time to pump into Midas Cup so I, I guess that's our biggest limiting factor in driving you know those bigger accounts and um, those bigger scale operations is is just time because those things do take time so yeah again as we mentioned everything has been super organic so like if it's someone that we've worked with or part like past through, like if we're in that area um, I travel a lot for work so I always you know if I'm in a new area I'll um, 
always have a sample with me and always try to, you know, do a little elevator pitch before, you know, my other jobs. So it has been super organic. And I I think finding the time has been the greatest challenge for us Mm -hmm. into increasing scale. Well, I imagine that one of your strategies has been to pick up PR through maybe non-traditional means, uh, like being on podcasts such as this one. Do you have any advice or have you had any success with uh, working with any print media or any other type of... It's been pretty good. Like, it's been quite organic. We had um, Elle in the UK contact us. They just found us and they contacted us for um, some advertising with them in one of their health editions. And then I guess, the, you know, how we got onto you essentially through Source Portal. And there was another, there's another couple of online mediums that I use that basically journalists just contact every day and they just write a list of what they want or what they need or what they're looking for. And um, these different companies or businesses send you an email once a day or in the morning and in the afternoon with who's looking for what and you just kind of go through the list and obviously we go straight to business or healthcare um, and usually there's different lists of what people are looking for so like looking for health experts to talk about inflammation I'm like bang perfect I'll contact them so I guess that's kind of one of my jobs <laughs> that I do. Um, I, I actually studied PR many, many moons ago at university or college, um, I guess you guys call that. I also tend to work with a lot of the magazines here as well, so styling-wise. So I've kind of just been hustling it in um, where I can, not in an aggressive way, like more um, super casual in a sense like, here is Midas Cup, I hope you love it, like it's super versatile. And then you know, letting them come to their own conclusions as I don't want to like be like, Hey, here's a media release. Like, please run something for me. So it's been super, I guess, super understated as well in like my approach with these publications that I work with on a regular basis. Cause I do, I don't want to seem too oversell-y in that department as well. So, but yeah, we, I have hit up a lot of the sort of editors that I work with on a regular basis and you know if they do like the product then send through some information you know about the product and the media release and and all the facts with the health benefits that kind of thing but it has been it again it has been really I guess organic and reactive versus um super proactive with any massive mail outs but with that said we it is something that we are looking to do but again um you know we have like these grand ideas of what we want to do for these mail outs. But mm. then again, we're, we're really limited by cash, you know, cash flow. <laughs> right. No, and that makes sense too, especially here in the States, because you can carpet bomb, for lack of a better term, the whole city with leaflets and you might not be reaching your appropriate audience. And I'm not sure if, uh, you know, what the, what the numbers look like for you, but there, you probably want to be really targeted with who you're sending some of this stuff to. I wonder if there's some partnerships that you could make with gyms or other health-related places where you could have some samples for stock or maybe some in-gym cafes and things like that where you could put some samples. Um, We actually do have some partnerships with gyms already. So, you know, we're we're both quite into our fitness. So, obviously, like the places that we go to, we've... um, hit them up. We've, we've, pro, um, we've provided samples for lots of different events in the health space. So we get samples made and we send a lot of samples out to different, um, you know, fashion and, and events like that that Elaine works with. And we've got samples going to um, 
the fitness challenge that's happening at the local kind of F45. I don't know if you know F45, but it's kind is of that, like your CrossFit. Is it okay. quite interesting in the States? I, I thought it was global. Not quite, not quite yet. Yeah, it's kind of like the new version of your CrossFit. Quite, not, not quite as intense as CrossFit. It's a little bit more back targeted more to females. movement. But, um, yeah, so we do have um, quite a few yoga studios that stock our product, which is obviously a great fit. I think that I do think that there's a direct correlation but between the people that drink turmeric and mm, go to yoga. That go, and go to yoga. So um, I think that's a really, uh, yeah, a re- like a very clear sort of um, Brand market, yeah, market for us. That's great that you know that so you're able to really uh, focus your efforts on that, especially with funds being so tight. As you're expanding your sales network, have you th- thought about at all about going into Amazon or some of these other online marketplaces? Um, so Amazon's definitely high on our list of things that we want to get involved in. Um, I actually met someone the other day at the hairdresser who kind of has a little Amazon store that she runs and she was kind of telling me about all the products that she sells and they're kind of quite diverse and really interesting stuff. But yeah, Amazon's definitely, definitely high on the list. Um, what you need for Amazon is you need your inner packaging and your outer packaging and then you need everything to be boxed up into you know, exterior packaging, and then these things need to be shipped to the States, which is quite far from Australia. And then it needs to go to one of the main warehouses and then split up across um, all of Amazon warehouses across the US. So it's quite a big job. Um, It's not a job that we're quite ready for yet. I think we need to expand our um, local kind of footprint um, and even branch out into New Zealand before we can afford the funds to worry about um, you know, hitting up Amazon, but it's definitely, it's definitely something we'd like to be at by the end of the year. Yeah. I think it's that whole, you know, um, walking before you can run as well. Like we don't want to expand so quickly that we, um, aren't able to cope with orders. orders. The beauty of, of where we get things packed though, is that we have from the start had things packed properly properly at this facility so when things do get to larger scale quantities it's very easy to flick the switch on that yeah and they um they're quite used to doing really large quantities as well and um there's actually a contact there who's been you know going over and beyond to you know help he's he's already stated that he you know would love to help us grow into that that bigger role as well so you know we do have i guess the support it's just about you know growing it to that point yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that you're not quite ready for Amazon yet, and I kind of did the inverse where my product I launched directly into Amazon without going into any local stores for the same reason because I didn't think I was big enough to go local. Yeah, okay. Ah. Interesting. How did you find that way in comparison? Like, is you know, should we be doing that? I think you should. That's why I asked. I think you. I think you absolutely should. At least local to Australia, right? I've, you've got some fulfillment centers in Australia that deal with Amazon Prime, at least specific to Australia, I imagine. Yeah, and the Amazon's launching in Australia soon, so I hear on the um, Insider Knowledge Grapevine. I don't know if that's... <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't be on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've, I've heard of it, and I know that it's coming in the U.S. anyway. It's a pretty well-known secret that uh, FBA or for sale by Amazon is coming to Australia. Yeah, I launching in March, actually, March or April. I would take a look at that because what it does is mainly because it's going to free up some time for you while adding a bunch of sales. You know, the advantage of selling on Amazon is obviously they have a lot of traffic and you don't have to drive a lot of that traffic yourself. Products that I have on Amazon end up with 20 or 30 percent on-page conversion uh, instead of a 2 percent conversion for a regular e-commerce website. 
regular econ. I know that 2% such you like look at it sometimes like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So overwhelming, but it's, it can, it's, it can get you down <laughs> on some days. <laughs> Have you guys seen that on your own e-commerce store? Is that about the, the right percent, in, you know, 2 to 5%? I guess it depends on the day. Our, um, our traffic to our web really, really is changes daily. It really does. It depends on um, all the articles that have gone out. Like obviously Elaine was saying before that we have quite a big presence in some of the um, articles, some of the like publications that go out here just because of the people that she knows and stuff. So when those things happen, we definitely see a huge influx to the web and that's when conversions are obviously higher. I also work with a lot of influencers daily um, and I guess I'm friends with a lot of them too. So I'm always like trying to get them loving the product yeah. so that they do posts organically. Like, so we haven't paid, we haven't paid for posts at all. So every post that's gone out has been, Organic. um, you know, them just loving the product, which, yeah. So I think it's just like trying to drive it that way versus, um, just traditional ad sales and online presence in general. Um, just, you know, the more it's in someone's face, the more someone thinks of it and then they're going to go to the website. Yeah. Just to keep it top of mind, like, Oh, I'm out of my Midas cup. I need to order some more. Um, I think obviously while we don't want to admit that it probably has spikes due to seasonality, like I think that it, it actually does. So, you know, there's also that to consider. Well, and it's interesting that you said too that that you're using influencers because a lot of the people that we've had on the show do the same thing, and they've had the best success with the low and middle tier of influencers. And once they start getting into the celebrity tiers, they feel like it's not as worth it. Would you agree with that? Hundred percent. Like people, people know consumers know that um, these influencers are paid to do these promotions. One of the businesses that I work with um, on my Monday to Friday nine to five. They stopped using influencers almost entirely just based on the fact that it's just not getting a return that it used to at all. Yeah, I think there's definitely been a shift in terms of how they're viewed, which, you know, is a good and a bad thing, to be honest, because... Bad if you're the influencer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gone are the days where products had, like, huge successes because they had, like, a really strong Instagram strategy. So... Yeah, I, I guess it's, you know, sad for us now that, you know, we have entered the market at a time where people are more savvy and less trusting of influencers. But I think it definitely that um not lower tier, but I guess like those influencers with you know, that are five not ten K that are not super uh, that that we you know aren't being paid for posts. I think that um mm. word of mouth like that word of mouth is really strong. So really valuable. No, that's great. Any other marketing tips that you can share that would help a, a product startup kind of get their uh, feet on the ground for relatively cheap? I guess at the moment, everything's so visual. So just as many photos and photo shoots and things like that as you can get, you know, that's for me, I, I would say word of like word networking, of like networking. just tell as many people as you can. Like, even if you think that it's not relevant, you just have no idea mm-hmm. who that person is, who that person knows. Um, literally just got to talk to every single person. Yeah. There's the amount of times, I mean, I was talking to, bumped into my friend's dad on the street yesterday and I was talking to him and he's like, I love turmeric. I'm obsessed with turmeric. Send me the link. I'll buy some for sure. I'll tell my um, Pilates instructor about it. She's a naturopath. She works at the two biggest naturopathy health schools. Like, I'm like, oh, when, you know, you just tell everyone. Yeah. Like I, like I, um, pretty much every photo shoot that I do every day, I'll have samples that I, you know, give out to the models and the that um, the creatives that I work with and the clients and like literally just try <laughs> to- <laughs> that people 
like, are you still a stylist or are you the turmeric lady now? I'm like, kind of both. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's the most important thing. Like, even if you don't think that, um, yeah, like just talk about your product, be passionate about it when you talk about it. Um, you know, tell everyone, you just never know where that might, what that might lead. Like you might not know how that person can help you. Um, but even just putting it out into the universe, I'm a huge believer in, you know, putting it out there because, um, it will, it will come back. No, that's great advice. And, you know, along the same lines, if you had to do anything over again that you've done in the past, restructuring something that, uh, you've done a different way to hopefully save yourself some grief or time or money. Yeah. I think it's just that checks and balances thing we were talking about earlier, just making Mm -hmm. sure that every step of the way things are checked and things are, yeah, the the QA is there. You just got to check everything. And if you have like gut feelings about stuff, maybe listen to them too. Mm. Um, You know, there was like a few little things that didn't seem right and it turned out that it wasn't right. So I think, um, you know, really listening, like tapping into that intuition as well. No, that makes sense. Thanks a lot for uh, sharing your wisdom with us. Now that people have listened to a full show about having uh, Midas Cup, where can they go and find it and buy it? Um, so you can head online to midascup.com.au and, yeah, it'll be right there for you. Or if you're in Melbourne, there's a few health food stores, um, Paran Health, um, I Revive, Cran Convenience, Cran Grocer. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've, got, we've got the Ferrand. Um, um, there's the food repository, the food repository online as well, um, and there's also um, the Larder Door online as well. It's um, stock Midas Cup, but definitely um, go straight to the website www.midascup.com.au. Thanks again, ladies, for joining me on the show. Really appreciate you being so transparent with the audience and myself. We definitely learned a lot about turmeric today. <laughs> we'll have to um, we'll have to send you some. Thanks again to Sam and Elaine for sharing their wisdom with us. Here are my three takeaways for this week. Number one, align your marketing to your product. Samantha and Elaine have done a great job in matching the bold, vibrant flavor of their turmeric blend to their marketing. They even brought a lot of energy into the interview through their personalities on the show. How are you aligning your branding? with the experience that your customers get from using your product. Number two, recognize the correlations within your audience. Sam and Lane noticed a strong connection between not just health-conscious people, but people who practice yoga and their likelihood of them buying turmeric products. So what are some of the common interests in your customers that you can use in your marketing strategy? And number three, take advantage of your connections. You never know how people you already have met in your network can help you talk to them about the product that you're working on, not in terms of a sales pitch, but why you are excited to work on it and what you're trying to achieve. People who know you best are also in the best position to send help or business your way. If you'd like to get these takeaways in your inbox every week, just go to theproductstartup.com, scroll to the footer of any page and sign up to the weekly wrap up. At the end of the week, you'll get my three takeaways for each guest, along with interesting articles, free tools, or inspiring innovations to help you with your own product startup. And join me next time as I speak with Alice Orozco about selling made-to-order draperies online via her business, Pret-a-Portier. Lastly, don't forget to check out the Product Startup Workshop, which is a Facebook group that I created for you to 
meet and get help from other product founders like yourself. Just go to theproductstartup.com slash group or search for The Product Startup Workshop on Facebook. Thanks again for joining me today, everybody. I hope that you're taking action on developing your products and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the first firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product businesses. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com. That's M-A-K-O design.com for a free consultation from one of Maco Design's four design studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.